This is East Lansing Insider, brought to you by ELI on Impact 89FM. In this show, we break down all of the news and happenings in the East Lansing community. And now, today's East Lansing Insider. Hello and welcome to another episode of the East Lansing Insider, a news podcast brought to you by East Lansing Info and Impact 89FM. I am Andrew Graham, East Lansing Info. Got a very deeply fascinating episode, both to me and I think to you today. It's about the East Lansing Deer Call, and more specifically, I sit down with Dr. Alexa Warwick from MSU's College of Agriculture and Natural Resources to talk about the city of East Lansing call specifically and sort of the human social and social science side of things and how you balance various stakeholders and how you proceed with something that is such a hot button issue. So it's a really fascinating discussion. We get into a lot of topics, and I really hope you guys enjoy. Here's Dr. Warwick. So I'm joined now with Dr. Alexa Warwick from Michigan State University's College of Agriculture and Natural Resources. Dr. Warwick, first of all, thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. I'm excited to chat. So we are obviously talking about the City of East Lansing deer call today, and you specifically have worked with the city on it, not so much from the sort of biological deer populations side of things, but more on the sort of human deer interaction, community, social science kind of side of things. So I just wanted to start off by asking you the sort of the scope of your work with the city on the deer call and what you've kind of learned maybe about the city of East Lansing and its sort of capacity or, or tolerance for a deer call? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So my background originally is in biological sciences, but I do amphibian work normally. Um, so this particular topic is actually in line with my work in engagement and outreach around wildlife topics. And when I started my position at MSU in the fac- as a faculty member in the fisheries and wildlife department, my colleague who was in this position previously, uh, she had gotten a grant from the city of East Lansing and had been working with them to come up with some plans for the deer management uh, decision-making process, sort of what does that look like, what data may be needed to make those decisions. And so when I started in 2019, I had the opportunity to kind of pick up some of those pieces and um, try to summarize some of the data that had been collected previously at the initiative of the, the city staff and have another community meeting, um, pull the residents in that meeting, look over complaints that residents have submitted, and attend city council meetings and hear people express their you know concerns and values about this this issue. So that was really one of the main things. I had an undergraduate student who summarized that data and we put together a report. We did do a little bit in the deer biology side just to complement some of those social science pieces. Specifically, we started some trail camera efforts in the city parks, and we did have uh, one resident who was interested in having a trail camera on her property as well. So the idea with that is to provide just a little bit of kind of comparison data on how active are deer in particular parks. So we had, I think in total, 16 different cameras that had good data collected that we analyzed and looked at 
basically a metric for how active deer are across different parts of the parks. And maybe unsurprisingly, um, it's super variable <laughs> across right. different parks, even within a large one like Abbott, um, which is one of the larger kind of more continuous parks, green spaces in right. East Lansing. So we looked at that. We also, the city, frankly, the city has been really proactive in thinking about deer and trying to manage deer and take into account considerations from many different perspectives in how to move forward. And they had erected some what we call exclosures, where you're, as it sounds like, you're excluding deer from from accessing those um, particular green spaces. And so we did do some you know, initial surveying of the plant communities next to these exclosures that were like a control, they were open areas, and then compared that to within the exclosures. It's a pretty small sample size. There are only two exclosures erected and they're kind of small. So there's some other considerations, but just as a start to be thinking about these different impacts deer have, one being environmental impacts, like actually going and removing bark or could be spreading seeds from particular species. We do or don't want if it's an invasive, for example, um, and then cons- and considering these other impacts like how much, how many deer people can tolerate in their area. Right. And that's, that's, I think that piece of it, you know, this idea of having a biological carrying capacity, how many deer can survive in a particular area. That's, that's an important idea when you're talking about, you know, there's no humans around and right. you know, what's, you know, what's maybe overpopulation this population or destroying some other part of an ecosystem kind of I'm flashing yeah. back to high school biology right now. Yes. Yeah, you should. That's, <laughs> that's definitely a, a foundational concept in ecology is this idea of a carrying capacity for how many, how many organisms can exist in an area. And when I look at that kind of information, you know, there are some numbers about about how many deer per square mile might be suitable. Um, it's not super relevant it, it, from my perspective for making decisions about management. What's more important is the perceptions of residents on the impacts that deer are having on their lives. And in some cases, those impacts can be the direct, you know, eating of their plants in their yards. That's certainly one piece that we've heard a lot of and seen in the responses quite often. Um, People being pretty passionate about, I put all this money and effort into growing these things and the deer are just coming by and destroying it. And they're pretty voracious eaters. So I can fully believe that. Yeah, my mom and her peonies. I yes. Think about yeah. That and I mean, the hostas are, are kind of jokingly like that's the the thing dear love. I know I have hostas that are from a previous owner and every year, man, they get mowed down. Mowed down. So, yep. yep. And we have a short fence, like a four foot fence. So so those those kinds of concerns and impacts that people are seeing, you know, one one being directly eating plants, the other maybe actually having deer be aggressive there's not a lot of you know nationally there's not a lot of good evidence for having a deer attack someone there's not a good record for that but i think the perception and i've been in the situation with my preschooler before too over at bertram park walking through having a a buck kind of come come up pretty close to us in front of the the other deer that he was around it it's not so fun it's not something that i was really pleasantly um surprised about or anything i i 
definitely started walking away and it sort of followed us. So I, I think the perception, even if there's not maybe true risk in being attacked, the perception of risk is pretty critical for people in terms of impacts. And then, yeah, other health and safety vehicle collisions are a big one that we often talk about, especially right. on the edges of urban areas that can be costly. I mean, in the U.S., we have at least 200 fatalities across the U.S. In the, per year and almost 30,000 injuries with um, deer vehicle collisions. Wow. So it's, you know, not that high here individually in this community, but it is it is a factor. So, and then disease, right. spread of ticks um, with Lyme disease are other impacts. So the perception of those impacts by community members, that's what we're terming this social or even cultural carrying capacity because people do like seeing deer. Like, let's right. not forget that that is an impact. People can find connection with wildlife by seeing them in their backyard, um, by seeing them out in the woods when they're walking. You know, there is something. I'm a wildlife biologist. I find it pretty magical to see right. wild animals. I mean, so not to discount that impacts can be really positive and connect people with nature in a way that just looking at a plant, unless you're a botanist, maybe, um, <laughs> maybe doesn't quite do it for you. So I, you know, I don't want to dismiss some of those pieces in terms of positive impacts. That's part of that social or cultural carrying capacity that we do like seeing deer. Some people do like seeing deer and there's a, there's a, maybe not a explicit threshold, but there's no documented, um, like this is how high it, the threshold and is for this community deer yeah. per square mile or something kind of thing like yeah. that. But it's, it's, yeah. it's a moving target. I get that. Well, I think East Lansing in particular, in my experience is perhaps a little more, I don't want to say unique cause that's a meaningless word in journalism, but, <laughs> um, sort of more different from a lot of other, perhaps even nearby communities. And that I think there is a very distinct valuing of the green spaces and the nature and that stuff sort of being, undisturbed so to speak um i also think there's a very direct in east lansing too and i know this has come up in that your preschool or walking through the park anecdote comes to mind of there were people concerned about the use of guns in city parks yeah um just from that standpoint so i think that kind of concept of you know there is an upper biological limit there's surely a point where there would be more deer than you know enough food for them to eat but the problems probably arise far before we ever reach that point it probably right. seems it seems like people have issues you know just one pack of deer could probably cause enough issues that people would be perhaps you know coming to city council and saying let's deal with this yep yeah and each person maybe one deer is too many deer for someone that that deer is coming and eating everything versus right. another person who likes to see the 15 deer in their backyard and you know that's two deer wouldn't be enough deer um, for them. So I think there's kind of community level social carrying capacity and sort of individual level. And you can, we're, we're intersectional individuals. I can love deer and hate them at the same time for eating my plants. Um, so, you know, <laughs> yeah. we're not, we're not one thing or the other uh, in that regard. No, that, that makes complete sense. I, I very much imagine if I had just hit a deer with my car, I would be rather anti-deer in that moment yep. versus just sort of seeing them wander through the yard is, oh, look at the deer. Absolutely. I wanted to ask, this has kind of fascinated me, and it's something that I've dealt with in my own job of the different terminology of the word call, I feel like, for, from my perspective, kind of is a 
it's a applies to the whole practice and the it's a it refers to a wildlife management practice versus killing a deer is sort of more like the direct act and removing a deer kind of almost to me sounds like this weird you're detaching what's actually happening in a way so i yep. wanted to ask you about the the use of the different terminology because that would seem to me like a very important thing if perceptions do play this big role yeah i, I think that's an important point to make in terms of the language we use around this i don't first i'd say the the use of the term coal does have kind of a history in agriculture and 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 management so the USDA Wildlife Services staff are the one doing the sharp shooting for East Lansing, for example, and it's the U.S. Department of Agriculture. They have a right. history of agricultural terminology and language, and in herd management, the term culling does refer to removal, and as you said, we mean removal in the in the more lethal final yes, sense. Yeah. They're they're removed from the population, and you know this this kind of language. I come across this a lot being kind of both a practicing scientist and a communications outreach person, you know, we, we use these terms in the profession without really thinking about what that means or what that might sound like to someone in the public. Um, and removal wasn't, I don't think it's ever meant to sound like a, a less scary term maybe than, uh, right. than kill. It's just, that is, that is how it's talked about sort in the profession. Sti- a statistical way of thinking of it almost, yeah. Yeah, and, and the, the term coal, I mean, coal was, when we were breeding and still continue, obviously, to breed agricultural animals, that culling means to remove those animals that have maybe a less desirable trait or maybe they're ill and you want to, or they have a disease that you want to avoid spreading to the rest of your herd. So coal did, did come about with that kind of history in mind and that's that's how usda wildlife services refer to this process of going out and removing killing a subset of deer in a population it's not as far as i understand it's never intended to be like a mass killing you're not trying to kill the entire population of deer there's some selected individuals that are going to be coming over and there's even research sometimes in if you can use the term personality for deer, there are bolder and shyer individuals. And some of those more bold or maybe aggressive is another term potentially that we perceive it as aggressive, but they're willing to come up to humans. And those, those animals, you know, if you could maybe target some of those animals that are causing more of the issue, that would be great. Um, I don't know that USDA services has quite that ability to ID a bold versus a shy individual, but culling is this sense of some animals are going to be killed, but the idea is that they're being removed from the population to reduce numbers as a whole or to reduce some some aspect, like like I was saying, kind of a trait if you had a more controlled population. These are obviously right. wild. They're not controlled. Right. They're moving across the landscape. Um, it does make it difficult to do these kinds of what I would, I think I'd prefer maybe just using the term like these are lethal measures. They are, they are killing deer. They can be effective when, especially when you have a more controlled population. Like if you had a herd that you were, you know, keeping in a area, yeah. You're not having animals coming in that you don't allow to come in, that kind of thing. So it's challenging to do these things and see the impacts because we're not talking about an isolated population. We're talking about a population that is having, you know, immigrants from other 
other communities. Meridian Township is doing their own set of deer management. And so if the deer are leaving there to come over here, because they're doing um, they're doing sharpshooting in Meridian Township, they're also doing a bow hunt with hunters as well. So we're next to them. We're gonna we're gonna be exchanging deer between them. And there are researchers at MSU doing work on deer movement. So I I can't speak to all of the details of that, but there are active projects to better understand movement patterns of deer and how, what that means maybe in terms of disease or spread of spread of disease. Right. Well, I, I think that's also the, the sort of isolated or the not isolated nature of this is, I think, an interesting point that some people who have been opposed to lethal deer management measures in East Lansing have kind of pointed to of, you know, other deer will just come in from neighboring communities or you can take out X number of deer now, but as long as there's people and food here, they'll end up back here. So I guess, how do you balance that? I guess, you know, the, the almost nihilistic argument of people who are very opposed to it versus the the need or the, the other desires in the community to do something about something that is a problem for a certain number of people. Yeah, that's, I, I think that's a, a really big point for all that's of this. That's sort of the big it, question here, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it is, it is. That's the fundamental piece. Like, what do we, what can we do is kind of part of that question. People are having concerns about deer. And I know over the course of probably, let's see, the earliest data we had was from 2011. So over the course of almost a decade, there were quite a few continuing and increasing frequency of comments of why have you done nothing about the deer we've said over and over again we have problems we and and again perceiving those problems it may not be that there's you know an actual increase in car vehicle and deer vehicle collisions but actually having a perception of this is impacting me i feel a negative impact from having deer in this community or having too many deer in this community. That's that's what the city staff, when I've worked with them, that's what they were hearing and seeing in, in complaints and all of this. So I think listening to those and saying, well, the options we have are somewhat limited. I mean, individuals can do things differently in their own property if they have the means or the time um, to do that, like repellents, fencing, um, or if they don't, have any issue with putting say a 10 foot fence in their front yard um (laughs) that so there are some things that individuals can do to maybe mitigate those impacts but i know many were looking to the city to do something in a in a broader way to not just have these you know isolated okay i'll do my thing but there's still a lot of deer and i i'm suffering from those impacts so to me that was kind of the impetus for for MSU folks being involved is to try to summarize some of that data, see if we can add some additional data. So if a cold does take place, we have some baseline data to work with and can start to measure what does it mean to have a successful deer management program? What are those metrics of success that we're interested in? Is it that there are fewer complaints coming in from people in the city? Uh, Is it that we actually do see a reduction in deer vehicle collisions? People are are not feeling they need to go buy as many repellents. There's a lot of different ways to measure success for for deer management, and listening to the community is a pretty critical part of that process. So 
yeah, I, I think the, the lethal removal, if you look in the literature about how effective non-lethal versus lethal methods are, I would never be able to recommend non-lethal methods in the sense of uh, contraception of deer or tranquilizing them and moving them to other areas. There's really no good evidence that those are the most effective measures and they require a lot of money and time and they can be really stressful for the deer welfare. So if people are concerned about sort of humane ways to treat wildlife, I think those are not necessarily, some people might disagree, we all have different value systems, but a killing a deer in sort of a clean, sharp shooting shot versus having them right. be it's tranquilized. It's a little oxymoronic. And, yeah, and suffer myopathy and, and other things that that, you know, they may suffer with as a result of having been trapped and, and moved somewhere else, for example. You know, I think those are the kinds of things that I'm thinking about in terms of, well, what are the options that are available? Individuals have to do something in their own property if that's the concern that they have, if they have, again, means, ability to do that. Otherwise, lethal options are one of those main, most effective and most adopted, frankly, um, across various urban areas. That is something that people, that community leaders do employ on a fairly regular basis. And it's usually not a one and done thing. It's, you know, there needs to be some maintenance of that population impact because otherwise, as you were kind of alluding to, deer will continue to come in. Uh, So it's, it's hard to say at what point we need to stop doing the call. I think there can be some more discussions with the community, with city staff about, well, what is the, what are those metrics that we want to try to look for? And so that's what I was starting to work with um, the city staff on was, all right, we have some baseline, some biology data about activity levels of deer in different parts of the city. We have these running online surveys that people could take and that shared their, their comments and concerns. We had community meetings that they could provide input on. They had city council meetings that they could provide input at. Now that we've had two calls, seems like the perfect time to be going out and saying, all right, how, how are you feeling about the the perception of impacts now. I will say it would have been great to do it last year. I don't disagree. We were also in a pandemic and it's pretty, pretty hard. Universal challenge. (laughs) Yes. Right. Right. So I think we're all struggling and to, to ask people on top of everything else you're dealing with, Hey, we really want to know how you think about what you're thinking about deer. So I think we didn't pursue that last year, you know, with a lot of effort, just because it felt very difficult to pull that off in a way that was going to be effective, I guess. So I would, I think that's something we've talked about uh, with the city staff on having another round of trail cameras put out that can be compared with the 2019, the pre-call data, asking maybe some more targeted surveys. So this previous, previously, sorry, the previous survey site were Essentially, they're always optional, but they were always just sitting there. There was no targeting of residents. So maybe the residents that are bordering these areas where the coal has been taking place, those seem to be the most important, as you said earlier, the health uh, health and safety concerns. You know, are they seeing any impact in terms of the concerns about negative impacts of deer? Are they seeing fewer deer and they actually would prefer to see more deer in those areas? So... I think it is important to follow up with residents and 
like many research projects, collecting that data takes time, it takes effort, and it, it can't happen overnight. And we're in a pandemic, so I hope people can be a little <laughs> a little more forgiving on that front. Um, you know, all the city staff and even the state agency staff in the wildlife division, for example, that do provide those permits to the city, uh, they, they truly care about the residents of East Lansing, the residents of Michigan, and they are not doing any of this sort of to be nefarious or to not be transparent. You know, from what I can tell, East Lansing city staff have, have really tried. They have a whole FAQ page that provides answers to those common questions. They're very, you know, as you said, there's a press release that came out that made it really clear what had happened. I don't think there's been any intent to hide something. They've been very transparent about what's happening and about the data that were used to make those decisions. And that decision was with city council. We had a lot of information over the years, and that's what led to the you know, agreement to move forward on this on this particular decision. Now, could things change? Absolutely. Like we're right. we are not static individuals. Our perceptions change. Maybe our values don't change, but maybe our the way that we act upon them might change. And you know, I know there are people feeling very strongly that any any killing of animals is not you know it's just not tolerable. And it's really hard to have some sort of consensus when you have people feeling very strongly about there are too many deer and there seems like no other way to get around that versus someone who's saying, I don't see any evidence that there's too many deer. And I feel very strongly that no one should be killing deer just because you're annoyed at them. So, right. you know, we're not going to please everybody. And I think that's, that maybe isn't the goal um, here, but to at least hear everybody's perspective and take into consideration those values and those perspectives and consider alternative means. And like I said, individual education, we did offer, um, like, like everything, the pandemic impacted those. We had a virtual webinar about smart gardening with deer that I put on with one of my extension colleagues in the, the city of East Lansing, the public library. And we offered that as a way to help people think about, well, what kind of plants could you avoid that would be, you know, deer friendly plants versus plants that they'd leave alone. Right. So it, there, I think there is some more work that can be done on the education front to help people make individual choices that might reduce those negative impacts. But if, if things you know, come out differently and there seems to be an overall increased tolerance for deer across the community, then maybe the coal isn't needed anymore. That's, you know, that's really, I think what the, from my understanding, the city staff are listening for that kind of feedback and they're open to that and they want to hear those. Just, you know, be respectful of your fellow humans. <laughs> yeah, that's probably my one thing. I, I think there's a lot of vilifying of, of government and local and state level folks and they really are great people and they're trying to do the best job they can so um yeah it's my uh, it's, it's a weird moment, thing i guess no i i get that and it's it's something that i i joke about it with my coworkers. it's of course it's the the deer that seems to draw out the most venom and like political energy from everybody yeah. and it's just i find it a little amusing from my sort of third party perspective but it's it's clearly something yeah. that means a lot to people so dr warwick passionate. i really want to thank you yes. for taking some time <laughs> go ahead sorry i no i just say people are really passionate about this and it it does mean that they care i i you know i 
fully respect that people really care in both directions and we're we're here to listen and here to help help city staff and and the city council make decisions that are best for this community so you know i'm happy to happy to be a part of that and to help where i can Keep making your voices heard, people, I think is the takeaway yep. from this. That's Dr. Right. Warwick, I want to thank you for taking some time and talking about this. I think this was, I learned quite a bit, and I'm hoping anybody who listens does, because I, I really think this has been a, a hot button issue that this is a new, a very new perspective on, I think, for all of us, and hopefully something that is enlightening for everybody. So I want to thank you for taking some time today. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, that's all we have time for today, guys. I want to, again, thank Dr. Warwick for taking some time out of her week and talking to us about the East Lansing deer call. And I think really bringing a new perspective and a, a, a different frame of, of considering it. So I think that was a, a valuable discussion for me and I hope it was something you guys found fascinating. Thank you again for listening. And this has been another episode of the East Lansing insider brought to you by Eli and impact 89 FM. I'm Andrew Graham. Thank you for listening. East Lansing Insider is brought to you by ELI on Impact 89FM. We are on the web at eastlansinginfo.news and impact89fm.org. Thanks for listening.